Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. For many who struggle with stomach pain and other digestive system problems, daily life can be stressful and depressing. Irritable bowel syndrome is a disease that is very difficult to diagnose and the symptoms can be even harder to relieve. Today, we're talking to Tanya Landry, who shortly after moving to a new city where she had no established care providers, began experiencing GI symptoms. Over the past few years, Tanya, through much pain and anguish, has worked diligently to understand and manage what is going on in her gut. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you for coming to be on our podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm having a good day today. Having a good day. Nice. So yeah. I like to hear that. Before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to our guests? All right. Uh, let's see. What can I tell you? My name is Tanya Landry. Used to live in Maryland. I am now living in Florida. Been here about four years. And loving the lifestyle of being able to be outside all the time. I like being outside, I like being active. And what else can I tell you? I'm 62 years old. So that's, I think that's all I can say. And looking forward to chatting with you guys today. Okay, great. Well, we're glad to hear you're doing well today and that you're loving your, your new home state. So let's get into it. We okay. talked to you before and have learned that you've been diagnosed with IBS. So first of all, we just want to talk about how you got to that diagnosis and what was going on in your life to make you seek some kind of help? Wow. Um, having moved to a new state and not had my usual team of healthcare providers kind of made this challenging. So two things happened. This started this journey about three and a half years ago. First thing that happened, had some chest pains, didn't know what it was, went to the ER, thought I was having a heart attack. And they said, oh, no, you've got some reflux. It's really bad. You probably have GERD. I was not that familiar with GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Didn't know what that was. So I, didn't, I just kind of put it by the wayside. And they said, oh, you know, you can take uh, over-the-counter um, uh, Nexium or any of those kinds of things. I didn't really take any because it kind of passed. They said, pay attention to what you eat. Don't eat things that are too fatty, which I don't usually do. Don't drink a lot of alcohol. So it's fine. It passed. I just kind of thought about it. Second thing that happened, if COVID first started, I ended up with an infection, a urinary tract infection. Couldn't get a hold of my doctor. As you know, doctors weren't really seeing people. Mm -hmm. Could not get a, a tele-appointment with my doctor here. And had to use another doctor from our insurance and who would do a televisit. Didn't know the person at all and they didn't know me. Sometimes you have those things in the back of your head where you think, I probably shouldn't be listening to this person, but mm. I've got this UTI. I want to get help. They prescribed this antibiotic, which I've never taken before, called Macrobid. I started taking it. I got very, very sick. Had to go to the ER. Just had a terrible reaction to it. After that, started having these terrible, terrible pains in my gut, all kinds of other terrible GI issues happened. And then I went to look for a gastroenterologist in the middle of COVID. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Um, I did find one and then I started losing this weight. 
and he said, oh, I can help you. You know, let's do it. We're going to do a battery of tests. You're going to come in. We're going to do upper endoscopy. We're going to do all of these tests. So I went in. I got all of the tests done. And he said, you have GERD, which they had talked about in the ER. And I said, I've done a little bit of reading about GERD. I don't, I don't really think I fit the profile for GERD. Yes, yes, yes. He said, you have GERD. We're going to start you on these proton pump inhibitors, which is what Nexium is. And it decreases the stomach acid so that you don't have reflux. But the other thing it does is it, it alters your gut lining and it decreases the good bacteria in your gut. Uh, did so you know it, that he said that? No, he did not say that. No. I, learned this, I learned this later. I learned this later. So I start taking it. And meanwhile, I contacted my trainer who I used to have in Maryland. And he said, oh, don't take that for a long, you know, you got to get off of that. That is only meant to be on for a short period of time. You're not supposed to be on that. And how long had you been on it at that point? So it typically when you, most of the medical advice is, you know, keep your patients on it six weeks, reassess them, whatever. I think I'd been on it maybe five. Okay. And I'm not a person who likes to be on medication at all. I don't take anything unless I absolutely have to. But so here I am in a new state with a new group of, you know, people around me. And I listened to my trainer. I went back to the gastroenterologist. I said, hey, I want to get off of this stuff. I don't think I need it anymore. Uh, I want to get off. And he said, no, you know, you probably need to stay on a little bit longer. So I left his office, started doing some more reading and found out how harmful and how difficult it was to get off of these PPIs. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Where did you do your reading? So I started reading. I went to like, I became like a gastroenterology nerd. <laughs> I went to the Journal of Gastroenterology, wow. things that I didn't understand. I had friends of mine who are nurses and I've called them up and say, okay, what does this part mean? So as I'm reading more and more about it, I read about how, for one, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, the prescribing of these PPIs. Um, they are overprescribed. They are not prescribed correctly. And the more I read, they can be very harmful. So I started getting very sick. And then I decided to take myself off. And then I did read something about the rebound effect, how people who take themselves off can have a rebound effect. You can get very sick. Well, I did. I got very sick. Did and you I, stop taking it or you kept taking it? I took it for the seven weeks, took myself off in okay. about the seventh week. And then how'd you feel? I felt terrible. It's what they start calling this rebound effect that happens in your gut. I felt really, really sick. I had trouble eating. I had trouble um, getting enough calories in. My stomach felt like there were knives in my gut, twisting my gut. That's how it felt. It was terrible. No, it was much worse than before you even started to yeah, see. Much health. worse, much worse. I was in a lot of pain. I didn't, now I didn't have any of this gut knife twisting stuff before. Didn't have any of that. And so that's when I went to him and I said, you know, I'm really sick now. I, I, I'm really, I'm giving him all the symptoms. And he said, we're going to up the dosage. Oh my goodness. I, I thought, I don't think I need to up the dosage. I need to just get off of this stuff. I go with the up dosage. Oh, no. Big mistake. Well, then, you needed relief, I'm sure. Right. I needed, it it yeah. just got worse and worse and worse. I was basically eating, you know, a child's portions of meals and not even that every day. I'm losing tons of weight. And I'm you're already to, small to begin with, I know. I, I'm going yeah. to my primary care physician and she's getting alarmed as well, but she doesn't really know what to do to help me. She's like, oh, we'll, we'll run some blood tests. Nothing came back for the blood test. And she said, you know, uh, maybe it's your gallbladder. 
had some tests done for that, wasn't my gallbladder. So we fast forward, I ask her for another gastroenterologist. I go to another one by a televisit. He looks at everything. Now he hasn't seen me physically, we're doing a televisit. He says, I think you need to up the dosage more. Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh my and I said, no way. I am not taking more of this. Meanwhile, I'm very sick. I've been in the ER twice. They don't know what to do with me. What all they're going to say is, maybe we should up the dosage. But what's their theory about what's happening inside of you that would require more of this medicine? They're just thinking it's a terrible case of GERD. And textbook, when you look in the book, it says you up the medicine, up the dosage to help this person. Well, Mm -hmm. You know, they're not looking at the rest of me because by then I'm back to the Journal of Gastroenterology and everything else I can find online, holistic websites, everything. And people are saying a lot of times GERD is mistaken for something else, especially after you've had an antibiotic that you've had problems with. It's mistaken for what they call small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And a lot of times there's a misdiagnosis with those two things. It's not uncommon. So I'm beginning to think that's probably what's going on. And I don't even play a doctor on TV. So <laughs> yeah, that's amazing to me. I'm trying to get some answers because the medical community is not able to answer me. Mm. I get to my third gastroenterologist. I search him out myself because I figure I'm going to go with a teaching hospital because surely they're going to have some good gastroenterology. To date. Um, I go to the third gastroenterologist. He's going to do another battery of those same tests I had before, but he's going to do two more to rule out parasites in your gut and all these other types of things. So that, that was helpful. So all the tests come back and he says, I don't know who told you you had GERD, but you don't have GERD. So there's a test you can do to determine whether or not you have GERD? Yeah. And it's the same test the first one did. And I said to him, because I'm by then... I'm just in tears. I, I, I don't sleep well. I don't know how still must be divine providence. I managed to get myself out of bed every day and still managed to do some exercise because everything I read said you have to move. That will help keeping you moving. And I'm a person. So the third gastroenterologist says, I don't know who told you you have GERD. You don't have GERD. He said, maybe at one point you had SIBO, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. He said, but I'm not really sure what's, what's going on here. I, at this point, am doing a lot more research. I happen to be working out with a trainer here in Florida, a personal trainer, and she has celiac. And so she's saying, maybe, you know, you have a lot of things in common with that, but maybe you have that. I, I, and I didn't, but she said, you know what? It also sounds like IBS. So I start re- researching IBS. I go back to the gastroenterologist because what I since learned is that in the medical community, especially with gastroenterology, it's very difficult to diagnose things in the gut microbiome. What's going on with your bacteria? They have a very difficult time doing that. They have very difficult time treating it when it comes to IBS and these other umbrella diseases because every patient is so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what makes it hard to work with the patient. And it's a lot of time. And they don't have a lot of time to spend with you to try and figure these things out. So finally, I go back to him and say, I, I'm pretty sure this is IBS. Maybe it was caused by, and I'm starting to talk his lingo. Maybe it was caused by a SIBO, episode of SIBO. And, but 
He says, okay, we're going to put you on an antibiotic because that is something you do with Siegel. I did not want to do it, but I had gotten so sick. Uh, I was having so many GI problems that I had to stop it. So I said, okay, I'll go on this course of the antibiotics. Made some of the symptoms better, others it didn't. After that, he really didn't know what to do with me. I came, I said to him, well, I'm reading about this low FODMAP diet where people with IBS get on this low FODMAP diet. It's supposed to be really helpful. He said, oh, I don't know. Maybe you could try it. Well, the more you read, that's like a standard now that, you know, you put IBS patients on a low FODMAP diet. It has to do with the polysaccharides and sugars and things that affect your microbiome and your bacteria. And it's about building your good bacteria in your gut. Because at this point, in hindsight, what they think has happened is I've been, I was overrun by bad bacteria in, in my gut from a series mm-hmm. of things, probably the, the Nexiums and all of those proton and pumps. Starting with that bad a- antibiotic from the right, beginning. Right, exactly. Starting with that, starting with the bad ba- antibiotic. And you can see how it snowballed. Right. Snowballed to being on those Nexium products much longer when I probably didn't need it. So I go, I'm listening again to my trainer. And she starts giving me things to do that are helping. And she says, you know, I've got another friend of mine who's also um, a registered nurse. She used to work in gastroenterology and she got tired of treating sick patients. She wanted to do more prevention. So she has her own private practice now. She does very holistic. She's been trained in some functional medicine. And I start working with her and she starts um adding things to the diet, fermentable foods, which are good at building good bacteria in your so gut. So what's a food like that? Like a kimchi? So you talk about kimchi, you talk about kombucha, you talk about kefir, which I couldn't tolerate, it's like mm-hmm. the milk product. Mm-hmm. Um, miso, it's fermented. Mm-hmm. Um, all sauerkraut? Of the like yes, sauerkraut, mm-hmm. things that help build your gut and they're fermentable foods that help good bacteria. And it's interesting, I had gone back to my gastroenterologist for colonoscopy, and and he was asking how I was doing, and I was saying I was feeling better, and he was working with a medical student, and uh, she asked some questions about what I had done, and I talked about this holistic nutrition. She was was like, I'm very interested in that. He wasn't interested at all. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, whatever. (laughs) He kept saying, well, I just don't understand how how you're getting better. And I kept talking about the importance of food, and he was like, well, I, you know, yeah, I guess diet plays a part. And I'm just thinking, I've read so much about the importance that food plays in your microbiome. I don't understand how he's saying. And being, how this kind of doctor could not no. know that. Yeah, he, I'm not understanding. The gastroenterologist. Right, I'm not understanding <laughs> that he's not understanding the connection between food and your mic and all of the research they're doing now about how your microbiome and your gut is responsible for so much of your health and yeah. your immunity and so many other things. I'm not understanding, and I've read it myself in the Journal of Gastroenterology. <laughs> I don't, I'm not understanding where he's coming from. I spoke with another friend of mine who is a physician and she said, we stay in our own lanes. I said, but his lane is food. I know, if your lane is the, the, the digestive system, you might wanna pay attention to food. But she said, He's trained in the medical model, which is procedures, and diagnosis, procedures, tests. That's Pharmacy. Their, Pharmacy. Yeah. yeah. What is yeah. the procedure he can do? He's great at the endoscopies and the rest of the stuff. Yeah. You know? The medical student is asking me all of these questions because she's very excited. And he's happy that I'm getting better, but he just is like scratching his head. I, I just, wow, 
wow, I think it's great. I just, I'm not, I just, wow, I can't believe you're getting better because for nothing that he's done. <laughs> and so you're not, so you're not taking any of the other medicines. The, no, the, no, I got off them and, re, and refused to, and he wanted to start me before I started feeling better. He said, well, let's do another round of antibiotics. I said, absolutely not. Good. Absolutely not. I do feel like we're moving towards the more integrative medicine, looking at the whole I hope so, because you look at, you know, people like Dr. Andrew, who's my father of integrative medicine and functional medicine. He's been around forever saying the same thing. He went to Harvard. I mean, and he always says he thought we would be further along. Well, I think you're right. Money still is the, the force behind a lot. Yeah, I think so. But I also think it's sort of, it's a big ship that's been moving like this for a lot of decades. And so in order to get the power to change that momentum, it's gonna take a lot. And like talking to the medical students, you know, yeah. starting with that next generation is a good start. Yeah. Tell us, what are some of the things, what are some of the dietary changes you made? Well, some of the things, and, and this is the thing that's very frustrating about IBS. It really, I always called it like, that I started to become my own chemistry experiment because what works for one person does not work for everyone. What recommendations they give you may not work for you. Uh, like many of them talked about the keeper, it didn't work for me at all. So you have to try things and then some of them will work and some of them will not work. And that can be very frustrating when you start to feel like, oh, this made me feel better. And now they want me to try this. Oh my God, that made me so sick. I don't want to go back. But you have to kind of work through a lot of trying things to see what is going to work for you. So for me right now, gluten, I can't do the gluten. So I'm gluten-free. I never did a lot of dairy, but I'm very careful about the dairy. I have to be very careful with how much sugar I have. Sugar can really trigger an IBS flare-up for me. Very big on berries for me. Very important to have berries sweet potatoes. I do more some brown rice. And then a key for me too, is a lot of bone broth, especially when I'm not feeling well, because the thing with IBS too, is you can have these, you can feel good. You can have a flare up where you start feeling really sick. So I immediately go to the bone broth. It's very soothing. The research is showing it's very good for your gut lining and for your gut bacteria. And then start adding in some vegetables, maybe some sliced zucchini. I've started with um, my acupuncturist, who's part of my team that I've, I've got together myself now, uh, giving me some recipes. So how did you find this person? My acupuncturist came from a woman I met here when I moved here through a mutual friend in DC. And I was having totally, I was not having a gut issue at all. I was having issues with my sinuses. I've always had like a hay fever sinus issue. And she said, oh, you got to go see my acupuncture. She'll make sure that goes away. You'll never have any more again. And I thought, sure. Okay. <laughs> I'll give it a try. So I went to her and she did a bunch of her little tests. And first thing she asked about diet and sleep was the first thing mm -hmm. she asked about. And um, I said, Oh, you know, I start and, and, she, and I started talking. She says, Oh, you know, sugar, you know, I'm telling her, she says, no, let's, let's cut back on the sugar. You're going to have a protein shake in the morning. Here's what I want you to put in it. Big on berries, big on berries. <laughs> so she's an acupuncturist giving you yes. nutritional advice. Yes. And this is before anything happened with my gut. So I, I went with what she said, and then she had some, some Chinese herbal medicine to try also. I have not had a sinus issue since I started working with this woman. 
I've not had any. But did she do any acupuncture as well? Yeah, she did acupuncture oh, okay. as well for sinus. Okay. But between the acupuncture and the and the diet stuff, I've, I've, I've not had that. any. I had sinus stuff my whole life. Wow. I've not had any sinus issues. You might need to call her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of needles. A lot of needles. When I started with the gut issues, then she really started seeing what else she could help me with. And it was more of the acupuncture with the needles. That was very helpful for the gut pain. I don't know what I would have done without her. Very helpful um, for the gut pain. And it would allow me to have enough of release to take a nap while I was in there because I was having so much trouble sleeping. It, it would give me enough release to relax the body. I sometimes get in there and sleep for 15 minutes. So I ended up so with you, her, my trainer, my holistic nutritionist. That's what I was going to say. You brought all this team together, which is great. But do they talk to each other? No, they don't talk to each other. I'm the one who sort of communicates to everybody what everybody else is doing. Which makes sense as you are the person who's feeling everything and right. knows everything. Too. Right. It's a lot for you to manage. It, well, but then what you come to find out when you start to deal with this kind of chronic condition is you have to be your own best advocate and you know your body better than anybody else. Well, I was wondering how would it be if we could actually bring the medical professional in instead of them just being the one off on the outside doing their own thing? Of course, that makes for a very strong team, which I was trying to do with the gastroenterologist, but he was not interested in being part of the team. Mm -hmm. The primary care physician I had, she was somewhat interested. It's just their model, the way they are now, they don't have the time. Right. So even the primary care and the gastroenterologist who she referred you to didn't really communicate. She just said here. Oh, no, no, they did not communicate with each other. And what I found even now dealing with my, my mother, who, who has had issues in the medical world, they don't want to talk to each other. They will send information, but they don't get on the phone, which can you imagine if they got on the phone and spoke with each other, how much better that would be for the patient? But the because system I, is in the way. Right. They don't have time. And they will tell you, like my primary care physician, she really tried, but she didn't have time to really research a lot right. of IBS stuff. So let me back up and get some definitions from you. So have you gotten a formal diagnosis of IBS? <laughs> so the way IBS works is the diagnosis works by process of elimination. So when I went to this third gastroenterologist and did the series of tests, some of the same tests I had before, upper endoscopy. I had all of this blood work done. I had some other tests done to rule out uh, anything that's going on with any other part of your small intestines. It, it's a process of elimination. So I had all of those tests done, then they rule out all sort of colitis. They rule out Crohn's disease. They rule out all of these things. They rule out parasites when they do all the blood work. They rule out any other fungus. They get to all of these things. They rule all of these things out. They go back over your history and the current symptoms that you're having to arrive at IBS. Can you ever be cured from it? Like, can you ever, I used to have IBS, but I don't have it anymore now. That's a good question too. A friend of mine who dealt with this for about 15 years before they even really got good at diagnosing this was a very sick young lady for a long time. She's at a point where she says, she does not have IBS. The people who get it later, like myself, they think come from 
uh, antibiotic and you get, get this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's the thinking in the, in the medical world. Um, and, and the medical world says, well, we think once you have it, you never get over it. I don't know. I think that you probably can get to a point where you no longer have it. So how long were you feeling terrible? Oh, um, probably about two years. Ooh. And it got really bad um, when the weight loss would not stop. And I was so sick with this, the nice pain. The pain was so bad. And, and then you go back to, here's another thing. So then you start telling about the pain. Immediately, they're going to prescribe painkillers. Pain mm. Then they're going to prescribe antidepressants because it does have an effect on relaxing part of the gut, but it comes with a host of horrible, yes. horrible side effects. How did this affect your family and the people around you? Uh, so, so, so at one point, before I found the third gastroenterologist, I was really sick. No one knew what to do with me. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, you're trying to be your advocate and manage this while you really feel so sick. Mm. Uh, my husband was very afraid. He was calling, you know, all of our friends trying to get some support. But, you know, at one point I was just so sick. I just thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Maybe this is the end here because I can't really eat. I'm just, I'm, I'm not doing well. Nobody knows how to help me and I am not doing well at all. Mentally, that must be depressing. Mentally, it was, it was, I think mentally what saved me is I'm a spiritual person, a faith-filled person. It's very hard when you're that sick though, but I, I always journal. Mm. And I would just keep doing that. I go to my, what I call my toolkit is on any specific day, what's in my toolkit to help me. And some days in the toolkit was crawl up in a ball and cry. I give myself 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes to be in a ball and cry. And then I say, you know what? This is the only day you got. You've got to live. You know, I was still going to see my mother trying to help her. You, you have to live your life, even though I did not feel well at all, but you, you've got to you know, what can help me food-wise, what can help me protein shakes, what can help me in the toolkit. I go to my husband some days and say, you know, uh, I just need you to give me a hug for a long time because that mm. I, I need that today for my toolkit. He would get upset to see me crying, but I'd say to him, I need, this is what I got right now. I, I, this is all I can do right now. And then I'm going to move on. I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm sad. I don't feel well. I'm anxious all of those feelings, down, depressed. Um, and you got to have some release for that. Other days in the toolkit, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to walk for five miles and be at one with nature, which is big help living here in Florida. If yeah. I have the strength, I'm going to get on my bike. I'm not going to ride maybe six miles. Maybe I'll ride two or three. I'm going to call a friend on the phone and laugh for a half hour. You know, I've got a toolkit and I'm going to reach in there and grab whatever I need to get through the day. Mm. No, that's a great thing for people to latch on to, to try to put together a toolkit for whatever mm -hmm. it is that is causing them pain. Because the other piece of the toolkit that I did wasn't successful in finding is I was looking for a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Mental health is so important. I was not able to find one. So some of this is during COVID. Um, and I couldn't even find anybody for telehealth because they were swamped. Did you have a girlfriend or somebody? I did. I, I have a friend who actually is a therapist who lives in Denver, and, mm -hmm. and she was very, very helpful. So your network of people was very important. Very important. Another good lesson. Yeah. And, and as you two can appreciate, 
there's nothing like having a good sister also to call. Amen. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you looking great and feeling great. Yeah, feeling good. Yeah, I'm sorry it was so long to get there, but your persistence was admirable and inspiring. And just something you have to do these days. You just have to be a strong advocate for yourself. And figure it out. And if somebody's answer is not the answer for you, either find a different answer or find somebody else who can help right. you with a different answer. Right. And it's not easy when you feel really sick, but I just would talk to as many people as I could talk to and, and use my network to get help. Is one of your doctors a functional medicine doctor? No, the, the nutritionist I have is trained, has some training in functional medicine. Okay. I was not able to find a functional medicine doctor here. I've tried several times. They're book solid, not taking any new patients. Um, so that no means there's not enough of them. <laughs> there's not enough of them. So that's why I rely heavily on the, the registered nurse who has some training in functional medicine and used to work for a gastroenterologist. Um, I can see how much you really did a lot of work and research and how persistent you were. Is that your normal personality or were you just <laughs> feeling that bad that you were motivated to do this, which seems it's great, but it seems like a lot. Well, part of it's my personality, but part of it is when you're that sick and nobody is helping you. Um, I, I quickly came to the realization that if I'm going to get my way out of this, I got to start doing some research. So I think your journey to back to health is going to be inspirational to so many other women who might be suffering from undiagnosed stomach problems. But is there anything else that you might want to say to someone who's feeling really horrible in their gut and has not been able to find a resolution? First, I would say I'm deeply sorry <laughs> because it's not a good journey. I would say develop a toolkit. I, I, sometimes I know it's expensive, but do your best to reach out and find people outside of the medical system if you do not have a good primary care physician. I think the best thing is if you have a good primary care physician who's willing to think outside the box and look at other ways outside of Western medicine to help you. If you don't, go and try and find a nutritionist is a big one. Go find a nutritionist to help you, to look at what you're eating, to maybe try the low FODMAP, but develop mm -hmm. your team of people to help you. That, that is a big one, I would think. Starting with a primary care physician, if you can find one, because I think it, it, yeah. it's really important. As Elaine mentioned, it's a stronger thing to have your primary care physician involved. How did you build your toolkit? I just started reading more. Like I got on an IBS support group and it's like, okay, some of it's complaining and some of it, but some of it, you get some helpful tips of what worked for other people, knowing it might not work for you, but what are some other soothing things and some of the things, ginger tea or peppermint tea. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I was always looking for things to calm the gut as well. Some days if I was feeling pretty good, you know, I get on my elliptical, I turn on Chuck Brown and sing, you know? <laughs> Chuck Brown! DC girl! Yeah, you know she's feeling good then, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? Don't be the thing if it ain't got the go-go swing, you know? So if you're feeling good, I'm going to turn on Chuck Brown. You didn't get all that going in your brain, too, you know? 
Um, I'm sure when your husband hears that, he's like, okay. He's having a good day. He's having a good day. Yeah, he's having a good day. So, and my husband and my son were very supportive and my sister, they would send me, you know, sometimes my son would send me music. Mom, I thought you might like this, passing this along or just call. He was worried. He was very worried as well. My sister was going to send me something funny that happened at one of her crazy jobs and, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah, all of those things to, to build and refine my toolkit. So who or what inspires you to be at your best health? I guess some people that I've been along this journey with, and one is, is my friend in Maryland. Her name is Nikki, who went through this for a long time, and she's another African-American woman. She's younger than I am, but she spent a lot of her life sick and people not knowing what to do for her. And the fact that she says she no longer has IBS and she's very healthy and feels so good. And she's always so encouraging. She will always send me emails and ask me to call her anytime just to see how I'm doing. And, you know, just to give me some encouragement that she always tells me, you're so close. Oh, <laughs> you're so close. You're so close. So she's a big inspiration. My trainer, because she has a lot of health issues. If you looked at her, you would never know it. She's younger than I am, but she is the fittest looking woman and has the most positive outlook you can ever find. You would never know she has a slew of chronic health issues that she's had most of her life that she has navigated. That's inspiring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are inspiring, Tanya. Thank you. Looking so good. And I'm glad that you're feeling good too. And you figured it out. Figure it out with the good Lord's help. Thank you so much. What a great conversation we had with Tanya. I just hate that she had to struggle so much, but I am very happy that she's feeling good now. I'm glad she's better because it sounds like it was really rough. And my main takeaway is that there may be times that you're sick that the doctors really don't know what's making you sick. And so like Tanya, we have to do a lot of our own research and draw on lots of different experts from both holistic medicine and Western medicine. She had an acupuncturist, a nutritionist, an internist, and a gastroenterologist. And it was surprising that the gastroenterologist was not interested in hearing about the food choices she was making to try to heal herself. Yeah, that is very surprising. (laughs) But also I noticed and appreciated from her story that she had a network of friends and family and she actually called on them. Along with her medical team, these people helped her get through this. They didn't have medical advice for her, but they had support, they had laughter, and she actually reached out to them so that they could help. Yep. And this network was just one of a host of things that she put together and called her toolkit. Every day she just woke up and said, how do I feel today? And which of these things in my toolkit will help me get through the day? Yes, lots of great inspiration from Tanya. I'm glad we had her on the show. Well, that's a wrap. I cannot believe this is the last episode of our first season of the Body Wealth Podcast. It was so fun talking to all these dynamic women, and I really hope that our listeners were able to take something away from each conversation that could help them increase their own body well. Well, we've heard from so many listeners that they really did, and I'm so pleased with that positive response and the feedback that we've gotten. 
And that's great since we're already working on season two. Yes. More amazing women, new topics, new episodes coming early 2024. But in the meantime, our listeners can keep in touch with Body Wealth by following us on Instagram and mm -hmm. connecting with us on our new Facebook page, which is Body Wealth. So there's plenty of opportunities to keep this conversation going. And if you missed an episode, you can still listen to it and find links to those on our website, bodywealthsisters.com. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandes Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.